Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live-action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Hey, does this hold up, or did I just ruin my childhood? Hey, that's a good question this week because we've been on the same page for the last couple weeks and I don't know that we're going to be today. Well, my name's Steve. And my name's Megan. And we'll see if we're going to be on the same page. It all depends on your taste. Yeah, and speaking of taste, oh... Before we get into our movie today, which is some kind of wonderful, it's our bonus for Patreon subscribers. Yep. So if you're listening to this, thank you so much. Thank you for being a Patreon <laughs> subscriber, for getting in on the ground level of this amazing opportunity. Oh yeah, big time. And also, we've got a poll for you guys this month to pick our a show for next month. Yeah, and possibly a pitch for a timeshare. No. No. <laughs> no. But the poll is going to feature superhero shows. Yep. So, um, you know, we just said we do a cartoon, a live action, and a TV, as you well know if you've been listening to this show. And um, we, so that means that we have a fourth week left every month. So we thought we'd let you guys choose, and we thought, hey, why not throw it back? There's a lot of great nostalgic superhero tv shows and there's a lot of shows that sometimes we don't consider or don't think about from our childhood that you guys may so we figured this is a great opportunity for those people who partner with us through patreon yeah so we'll have some listed and then i think that we should be able to have a place for like if one that you think is great that's not listed you could vote for that too that's true so it'll be up on facebook as well this time but after that it'll just be exclusive for you guys so our the non-sponsored, non-sponsored snack. snack. Steve, what's our non-sponsored snack for today? Jordan almonds. Now, this... candy-coated th- almond. This was a Steve choice. Yes. Because, I, I have to be honest, I'm way too worried about my teeth to ever have chosen this. You guys know them. They came in pastel colors of hard candy shell around an almond. Usually in a candy dish, you know, it, like your great aunt's house yeah but we we chose it in part because it was what was at the store and available but also there are some some ties with jordan almonds and weddings and romance and love and this is our valentine's day bonus right so steve we have mixed colors but did you know that sometimes the colors mean different things i did not they're like roses yeah white for weddings okay silver for 25th anniversaries interesting that's specific so should i get that for our 25th anniversary no. silver jordan almonds <laughs> no thank you um sky blue and pink for christening red for graduation green for engagements and um a lot of times though i've seen also the mixed for easter Because they're like pastel kind of Easter colors. So it's interesting. There's like kind of a myth going around. And I I can't tell how real this is. That Jordan almonds perhaps might be named after the Jordan River. Interesting. Not, as you pointed out earlier, the character Jordan from Crossing Jordan. Not Michael Jordan. Not Michael Jordan. Not Jordan the country. No. Well, no. (laughs) Um. Because they come from the Mediterranean and there were um, evidence of 
these being used in Italy, especially. So the Mediterranean and um, the well, East. That is, that's areas where almonds originally grew. So right. that would make sense. So in Italy, these were part of what's called confetti. So it would be like coffee beans, peanuts, pistachios, marzipan, and, and like different party flavors and like little arrangements. It's like a European trail mix. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Um, but confetti, it's not like, it's its a, like a generic name for little like, like bits, you know? It's yeah. not like confetti, like the, like we think of it with the paper. Right. So we have manuscripts of, of different things talking about candied fruits and like dried fruits, aromatic seeds, pine nuts, cinnamon, that kind of thing. And in ancient Rome, they used to have candied almonds, but of course that was done with... Um, Honey, right, right, rather than like sugar, sugar. Um, so it was probably more like what we would call a can, more like either a honey roasted or possibly like a like a brittle. Yeah, probably like a peanut brittle, but maybe with almonds, where they coat like it's you know that's or my the thought. kind you get at like the fair. Mm. You know how you get like sugar yep. coated, and they're like a lot of cinnamon in them, so. At any rate, um, then they started having the hard candy shell on them later on. Also, uh, Wackenfuss, which makes a lot of these. Now, they're made by a bunch of different companies, so I don't like have the history on that. But um, Wackenfuss says, The sweet symbolism of each almond may come written on a small card attached to the bag. Or there's a poem printed out that sends a couple off with health, wealth, happiness, children, and a long life. These five wishes typically correlate to five almonds per bag. There's no hard and fast rule, but you should give out almonds at your... If you're going to give out these almonds at your wedding, you should give them in single-digit odd numbers that cannot be divisible to symbolize a married couple's indivisibility. Like, you can't... Okay. But that basically means that you're either giving one, three, five, or seven... Because nine can be divided by three, right? Mm -hmm. So they recommend five. Now, we didn't have these at our wedding, uh, number one, because I don't like them. And number two, because we had M&Ms, which I do like, but which did stay in the tablecloth. Well, I imagine these would as well. I think so, because the one left a pastel mark on my hand while I was trying to eat it. So what did you think of it? Um, It's interesting, you know. It's... Mm. I'm going to have to go, you know, it was not spectacular. Mm. It was not terrible, but it was not spectacular either. Sometimes we eat while we're talking, but these are very hard to eat, so we ate them ahead of time. Yeah, then the, I, I would say, you know, the candy shell is a little different tasting. Yeah. It's not bad, but it's a little different. And the almonds, I like almonds, but being healthy does hurt its rating as a snack, in my opinion. You're so, so silly. But it wasn't, I mean, I would still eat more of these probably if I was just sitting around. So I would probably have to give it a three. You would eat It's middle more of the of road. The, you're going to break your teeth and you're going to cost us thousands at the dentist just because you like, you were like, man, these are all right and they're here. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't like these at all, really. The the candy shell, there's um like a malted Easter egg candy. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a malt ball. Yeah. And then it's got a candy shell on it, and that's what the candy shell reminded me here. 
Yes, that does that 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 makes sense. I like it better, and now I can't. I don't. I don't think I can eat malt balls anymore because uh, it's um, gluten in them. Yeah, but it's um, like a whopper, but candy coated. Right. Yeah, and shaped like an Easter egg, <laughs> and wrapped in foil or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't care. I did not care for this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it a one. Really? Yeah, I couldn't even bite into the one. I I ate the one, but the other one I took two, and the one of them I couldn't even eat. It was like too big, and however the shell had been done, it was too thick, and I was legitimately worried I would break a tooth trying to bite into it. Okay. So, two, two out of five hearts for hearts. Valentine's Day. Yes. Two out of five for the candy, but maybe the movie will do better. It is a it is a romantic comedy or a romantic kind of eighties movie. So yeah. we'll see how that. So Steve, this was one of the ones that we talked about mm-hmm. for our Remy Awards. Yep. Um, it didn't win because Princess Bride won, but uh, I think that was possibly in part because I don't think Tim's seen this movie because <laughs> I know I had not fully seen this movie either. And um, the part that I had seen, I thought, occurred much earlier in the movie than it did. Okay. But we found it on HBO, and it is, surprisingly, now this is technically episode, like, 55 for us. This is the first John Hughes movie that we've done. It is, yeah, interestingly enough. Which is, you you would have thought for a show about the 80s and 90s that we would have hit. We would have hit on some John Hughes before, but no, this is the first one. So give a synopsis. So this is, it's a, as we mentioned before, it's kind of a romantic, it's like a romantic 80s teen movie, right? Mm -hmm. And so it centers around Keith, who's the main character, um, who is kind of in a love triangle, basically. He kind of is interested in this girl, Amanda, who is kind of up the social ladder from him. Um, He's a little bit of an outcast. He's a mechanic. Um, You know, he's not like with the preppy kids, which is who she hangs out with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he has a best friend, um, Watts, who's a tomboy. And she kind of has a thing for him. Mm-hmm. So Watts likes him, but he likes Amanda, right? So it's kind of this... this we, We've seen this love triangle kind of trope before, right? Um, but it, it works around that as a storyline. There's some side plots that are pretty interesting, like, you know, his dad and his mom want him to go to college, but he really is just interested in being a mechanic, so he kind of keeps putting it off. Um, and, you know, Watts, his best friend, doesn't seem to have the best home life. Um, but it is interesting, and there's a, you know, a number of other people involved, too. Um, Amanda has a boyfriend who's kind of a jerk, which, again, we've seen before. Um, and so, you know, the whole per, the whole, basically, summary of it is we see him going through these basic high school teenage things, trying to get her attention, then he finally gets up the nerve to ask her out, you know, and the whole time his best friend Watts is like, I don't see what's so big about her. Like, she's not that pretty. She's not that, right? She's uppity. Um, she's, you know, you you deserve better. Um, and and it's, it's an interesting film, I think, you know? He, he ends up in detention trying to get her attention, um, you know, because she gets attention. So he wants to get detention to be with her and then she gets out of it. So yeah. he gets stuck there. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting. It's a, you know... A boy after girl type story. Yeah. Um, and a girl running after that same boy while he runs after a different girl. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when I 
looked into the history of this movie. I did wait until after we had watched it. Because okay. a lot of times, if we've seen something before, I like to do the research and then it kind of like informs how I watch the movie. Mm-hmm. But I really had not seen this entire film. And um, certainly at least not without like... I think I saw like part of it on TBS kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? So a couple of things. Number one, this was conceived of as a sex comedy initially. So something more along the lines of like Animal House or American Pie. Okay. That there was like more hijinks, not quite porkies, I don't think, mm-hmm. but there were more hijinks where like, Keith gets stuck in his gym shorts in front of Amanda and he's scratching his crotch and she walks by and he tries to pull the hand out of his shorts, but his watch gets caught like, 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 like stupid stuff like that. So basically the, they went back to, uh, John Hughes and they were like, uh, John Hughes and this guy, um, that he co-wrote the thing with, they felt like it didn't really totally work. Howard, right. Howard Dutch. And so they were supposed to be working on rewriting it. And Howard Dutch goes over to John Hughes' office and he's like, okay, I'm going to work on it a little bit too. Where's the rewrite of the script? And John Hughes goes, oh, I, I haven't been doing that. I've been doing something else and shows him Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. So in the middle of writing it, he got inspiration for something else. You know, the other interesting thing about this movie was that is... Is that this was, this was kind of like a retribution film, mm. because John Hughes was not happy with how Pretty in Pink ended. Interesting. His original story, um, in Pretty in Pink, Andy R- Molly Ringwald's character was supposed to end up with Ducky, her best friend. Yeah. And when they ran it that way, test audiences didn't like it. So they switched it so that she ended up with Blaine, Andrew McCarthy's character. In part because you you can read Ducky as being gay. I don't, but if that's what you're... He's just supposed to be, like, nerdy and goofy and, you know... And artistic uh, and gay. Yeah, No, 100%. he's not supposed to be... You're, you're really reading into something. Um, so, A lot of people think that. So with some kind of wonderful, Hughes decided to retell the story, but gender swap the characters. That makes sense. And here... You know, no spoilers of, you know, spoiler warning. Uh, but here, obviously, the main character does end up with the best friend instead of the the girl he's been after. Yeah. Right? We'll get to that when we um, get to it. And so, you know, that was really the kind of, the, the thing, the motivation behind writing this original script was he still wasn't happy with how Pretty in Pink ended. So he decided, I'm going to retell the story again but end it the way I want, but I'll switch up, you know, who the characters were a little bit. Um, and, it, you know, he also decided to kind of throw in a little bit of his own running joke um, with a tribute to the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. The main character, Keith, is named after Keith Richards. Mm-hmm. Charlie Watts is also a member of the Rolling Stones, which is where we get Watts, the girl. Mm-hmm. And then also the, the Rolling Stones song, Miss Amanda Jones. Yes. Is where we get Amanda Jones, respectively. So it's interesting, too, that you said that it it was kind of retribution for Pretty in Pink because they offered the roles to Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy. Yes. And they turned them down. Yeah. Then he offered it to Michael J. Fox, who also passed. Mm-hmm. Then 
Kim Delaney was cast in the role that later went to Leah Thompson, and Kyle MacLachlan was supposed to be the other bo- the boyfriend. Yes. And then they were with Eric Stoltz. So what ended up happening is there was a different director for a bit of time when those choices were made. Then John Hughes didn't like the direction that that person was taking, so he brought back Howard Dutch, who had worked on the script with him, right? So, but here's the thing, Steve, that what's interesting is Eric Stoltz, the only person who stayed, right? But he was really... And Mary Stuart Masterson. And Mary Stuart Masterson. But he was really worried that he would also get recast because that had just happened to him in Back to the Future. Yeah. When he was recast and Michael J. Fox was able to take the part. Interestingly enough, Leah Thompson had been offered originally for Amanda and she turned it down. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she reconsidered after Howard the Duck bombed in theaters that she had been in. So she needed the work. That movie is horrible. So she came back and they ended up with her. But going to Molly Ringwald, yeah, Molly Ringwald was offered it. And she she turned it down because she felt the character was too similar to who she played in The Breakfast Club. Yeah, because it pretty much is. Right. But interestingly enough... Um, John Hughes took it personally, and this ended his work with Ringwald. He never hired her again Yeah, and she, because she said no. She has a really interesting essay that she wrote um, only a year or two ago, uh, maybe, maybe three years ago. But she wrote this really interesting essay about, she said, it was not a Me Too situation. It wasn't like she was sexually harassed, but she was amused for him at a very young age. And because of that... She kind of felt like obligated to kind of live up to like his expectations of her. And then when this happened, he basically like dropped her completely. Oh, yeah. He took this personally that she didn't want to yeah. take the job. And so he was like, never again. Yeah. Which is, I, I think, unfortunate because. It did kind of kill her career because well, she wasn't in a whole lot of And what after I found this. with Molly Ringwald is that. A lot of the other stuff that she did, she just isn't as good. And and there's something about his direction that was able to bring out better performances in her. Yeah. Um, if you watch her in, like, The Stand or um, there's a couple TV shows where she plays, like, the mom character, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's very interesting. But um, at any rate, there's one thing about the end that I want to keep for later. Okay. But I want to say that it's a good thing that Molly Ringwald wasn't in this and Leah Thompson was. Because the director, Mr. Dutch, had such a crush on Leah Thompson. There's a lot of art in this movie and her picture's painted and Mm -hmm. he kept saying, no, that's not capturing her right. You have to have her repainted. (laughs) And so there's all these like pictures of her being painted. And basically she says... They spent about $40,000 on all these paintings. And that is, uh, her in Thompson's book, You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried, she kept two of them. Um, and they fell in love and they are still married. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had no idea. I didn't know that she married the director of this movie. So I'm really glad that she was in it because it's such a cute love story that he loves her so much that he's like, no, 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 that painting's not capturing her the right way. Do it again, you know? Yeah. Oh, my word. Uh, Well, no break because we're on Patreon. That's true. And no ads. So lucky for you guys, you don't we're have to. We're just going to roll straight into <laughs> the memories. Let's just roll right into it. Um, what are What are your memories of this movie? 
Um, I saw this when I was young. Yeah. You know, I mean, 87 it came out, so I would have been 10. Mm -hmm. So I saw this in my, you know, around that time, maybe a little bit older, but early adolescence. I liked it. I, matter of fact, it was one of the things that stuck with me, as, as those of you who listened to our 50th anniversary spectacular, mm. The Remy's, right? This was my um, nomination for Date Night mm-hmm. movie. I think this is a phenomenal film. Um, I like the acting in it. Um, and I like the fact that this is a this is a John Hughes movie that does not have the the normal John Hughes actors in it. Right. Right. You don't get the Brat Pack. Exactly. Really? Um, now, uh, part of that is because they said no, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Right? But these actors are also... Eric Stoltz was very widely known in the 80s. Right? Leah Thompson, of course, Back to the Future, right? It, the Back to the Future movies. So we know her from those things as well. Um, Mary Stuart Masterson was in a number of things in the 80s. Um, even the guy that plays Hardy, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. The, the guy who plays Hardy is um, uh, Craig Schaefer, right? He was in River Runs Through It, which is one of my favorite movies. He was in Nightbreed, which stay tuned, audience, because we will do that someday. I don't know about that. Um, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal sci fi film. Um, he was just, he was in a number of uh, movies in the 80s. So these were all still, it's not like they were no name actors. Right. They just weren't the ones jo- that. That John Hughes traditionally worked with. I think that Mary Stuart Masterson, I think that Fried Green Tomatoes is, yeah, 91. So it would have been after this. But that's, that movie, I read the book as well. But that, that movie in particular is phenomenal. It's one of my movies that I think is better than the book. And I nominated that for a Remy Award too, for yeah. adaptation. But um, my memory of this is uh, really minimal that it never looked like a movie I really wanted to watch, so I didn't watch it. That's a shame. And mm, is it? We'll see. <laughs> um, and I caught one time the, what I thought was the middle, but was in actuality, I think, like the last five or six minutes of the film. <laughs> so I'd seen the end, but I didn't know it was the end really. And I kind of knew the general storyline. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I think I've seen all of John Hughes' other movies, um, including things like Uncle Buck and mm-hmm. stupid things like that. But I just never happened to catch. He's this done one. over thirty. Has he? Yes. Well, it's possible I haven't seen all yeah. of them, but uh, you may have seen some you didn't realize he were his too. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's done over thirty. Yeah, but. That's a that's a good point there. So, let's get into it. My first note, and I'm going to read this verbatim, is Keith is a dick who stands in front of trains. <laughs> because the opening sequence is just this dude trying to act cool while walking home. And it's this sequence of like, we're going to show that he's literally the wrong side of the tracks and the most obvious symbolism we can and the that train. he's a work and on the train tracks right and he's a working class dude and he stands in front of a train and the guy and the, you can see the engineer being like dude get the hell out of the way yeah. and eric stoltz is like huh i'm cool i stand for a train yeah. no you're a dick get out of the way you're endangering everybody on that train just yeah. by being a teenage 
the, op- the opening sequence to this is interesting because it's a montage. Yeah. That keeps it's it music is playing while it keeps switching between the three characters, right? So you see Keith working as a mechanic. Oh well, he's also my, and, wait, and, and then what's that? He's also doing welding. And yes. In my notes, I put this movie in flash dance. What's up with welding? <laughs> he's doing mechanic. He's working as a mechanic. Yeah. Right, and then it shows him walking home, mm-hmm. and then it flashes also to because we're supposed to learn those things about him right up front. Right. Yeah. We see Watts, who's dressed as a tomboy, and she's playing the drums. Right? Yeah. And then we're switched to Amanda, and what we need to know about Amanda is she's making out with her boyfriend. Yeah, in all these different locations. Right. <laughs> so we really don't know anything about Amanda still after the opening montage, but um, it, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, Watts... Well, it, I will say this. I do think that that is how she defines herself, and that's how she's defined through a good portion of this movie. Yeah, that, that well, having she's a, a sex object, and and that having a boyfriend is the most interesting thing about her. Yeah, right, and and that is interesting to kind of watch as it goes through. Um, so then we come back to Keith and we kind of follow him a little bit, mm-hmm. right? He's got two sisters, one who looks kind of mousy, and she's like thirteen and wants to be eighteen. Yes, and the other one is Candace Cameron. <laughs> Very young right. Candace Cameron. And she is, yeah, she's probably like, like years six, before Full House. Yeah, a couple years, not not yeah. too long. Yeah. Not too long, I don't think. And she is, um, got the vocabulary of a 25-year-old. Right. <laughs> and says things like she considers, like, the nutrition of what she's eating and things like that. And the other sister, who's more of a brat, is, like, in his room trying to get his records. Right. She's, like, his arch enemy, you know, yeah. which, of course, is, like, a, you know, a sibling rivalry type thing. Yeah. So, his dad wants him to go to college. Yeah, but you know what I liked about this dynamic? Is it's not, like... His parents are actually fairly supportive. Yeah. They're not like jerks. They're not like, you know, it, it's they're not some of the tropes that normally fall into where they're riding him. The dad legitimately is kind of excited for him and is like, oh, look, I've looked at these schools. Oh, yeah. Like, he's not... One of my favorite sequences in this whole movie is where the dad is looking at college catalogs, which, of course, are now online. But right. back then, you would have to, like, send away for the college catalog. Mm-hmm. You'd have to, like, show interest. I had to when I went to college. That's to, how I had to do it. You'd have to get it from, like, the person... The, um, guidance counselor. Guidance counselor. Yeah. And you would... um. Oh, I'm sorry, princess. We're being loud. <laughs> you, but you'd, but his dad is going through, and he's like, Keith, look at the girls in this catalog. They're pretty cute. You could go to this school, and this school has a great business program, and this one has a swim team and like a lacrosse team and stuff. So it's kind of, it is kind of funny, right? The only issue, the only part of his dad that's really not supportive is the fact that keith wants to go to school if you want if he does go to school he wants to go to school for art because he's a painter yeah and his dad wants him to go for business but now as an adult i look back and i'm like keith you're never gonna make a living as your dad's right you're not gonna make a living as an artist No, 100 percent. like you probably should maybe go with business and minor in art yeah or or teaching yeah. whatever but that it, well, bastard even that. just wants you to be successful keith i know well what he says to the guidance counselor is like, oh, no, we want a good business program. The guidance counselor is like, I don't know if Keith has a head for business. 
Right. Although she does say he has good grades. He has good grades, yeah. But I don't... She's like, he's more of a creative type. I like that you don't have... It's not like... Like you said, Steve, it's not like the dad... He's not... He's not the antagonist. Right. And he's not the enemy. It's just that they really don't understand each other. Yeah. And And they don't actually argue. No, they don't. They have conversations. Even when he's like, Keith, come look at this. And Keith doesn't want to. He's like, I'll do it later, Dad. Or, oh, I'll catch you in a couple minutes. Like, it's not like, Dad, stop riding me. Don't be a jerk. Right? In that way, I think it's pretty realistic. So then we come to the school scene, which is a classic in almost any John Hughes film. Yep. And the two-tone tiny car that Mary Stuart Masterson owns and drives is... Hilarious. Yeah, we are introduced to Watts, who drives him to school. And Watts drives a Pearl, which is, is a British is? car um, that is, yeah, small, because a lot of European vehicles are, right? And it's 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 kind of a piece of crap. It, you know, it, I think at one point it won't even start. Or right. she has to get somebody to push it. Yeah. But we're introduced to, to Watts, who is Mary Stuart Masterson, who has... You know, a short haircut, very similar to the same haircut she has in Fried Green Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's dressed in a black leather jacket and leather cut-off finger gloves and jeans that are rolled up with sneakers on, right? So she's supposed to be more of a tomboyish. And she, uh, she's first off, she's smoking hot. Okay. Right? I had, young Steve had a super crush on Mary Stuart Masterson. Especially in this movie. Mm. Um, but she's she's playing the, you know, tomboy, I'm too cool for everything character. You know, I don't I don't really care about that. I'm kind of too cool for that. Like, he asks her as they're walking to school, like, where are your books? And she's like, I don't have any books. And all she has is, like, drumsticks in her belt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it... It's interesting. I mean, I don't obviously have the same reaction to seeing her as you do, but I, when I saw her in Fried Green Tomatoes, like, I wanted to be her. She's just cool. Like, she has a very... She has, like, a charisma about her. Yeah. It's surprising to me that her career didn't go further than it did. I also commented that everybody at this high school looks like they're 20 or 30 years old. And in fact... Eric Stoltz was born in 1961. Mary Stuart Masterson... So he was 26 at the so time. So he was 26. Mary Stuart Masterson was born in 66, so she was 21. 21, yeah. And Leah Thompson was born in 61, so she was 25. Yeah. Yeah. So at least I wasn't, like, far off base. Um... And, 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 and uh, Craig Sheffer, who plays Leah Thompson's boyfriend was born in 1960 so he's 27 at the yeah, time yeah so that's the, the thing time, yeah. like i don't know that's the one thing you know when if you look at the if you look at the breakfast club there some of them are a little bit older too but they also like anthony michael hall wasn't and he looks like a teenager right like he looks like a real kid and here they're like they're very shiny and whatever anyway um so we have more of Leah Thompson making out with her boyfriend. He's watching her really closely and creepily like a stalker. (laughs) And then the first time we see him not with her, he's trying to make out with another girl. A number of them. Oh, the boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah. Hardy. We also have um, Keith coming up against some bullies who are kind of like part of the punk scene. 
They're not like harsh, harsh bullies. They're just like, hey, where are you going, dude? And they have yeah, like. Duncan is the bullies. Is he, he's the only bully we get a name from, and he's like the leader of them. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, when the boyfriend. What's the boyfriend's name again? Um, Hardy. Okay. So when Hardy is making out with somebody else, in my notes I put, what a gaslighting asshole. <laughs> Yeah, because when even when she catches him, he's like, he's like, I this, she's a friend of my sister's. I was trying to help her out. He's like, jealousy doesn't look good on you, and he like makes it out to be her problem. Yeah, every time. Yeah, that she's making this up, and that she doesn't know what she's talking about, and that she, see. So one of the important things is that you did see her in the opening montage go back home to their neighborhood where Watts and Keith live. Right. So she's kind of got to play along if she wants to be thought of as popular and whatever, because there's class differences at play here where Hardy is really more, he's wealthier. Right. And yeah. She's we, more we, like working. Class. We find out that she's not actually, she's, she's sort of, you know, a, a fish out of water as well, because she hangs out with all the popular rich kids, but she's only really in that, that click because she dates Hardy. Exactly. So it's it's kind of in her best interest to almost give in to him or go along with when he does make it her fault because she has a lot to lose if she is not with Hardy. Yeah, and um, I think it's a lot. There was another movie we watched like this too um, where, remember, the girl, the girl's mom really wanted her to date the boyfriend. Yeah, that was a dream, a little dream. Yeah, and and it's a little. We don't see Leah Thompson's mom here, but we get the kind of same idea that because of her circumstances, this is still at a time where if she couldn't go to college, she might just like marry this dude. Yeah, and he it's it's pushed in that he's wealthy. Right. So it's kind of like, well, this could be kind of my way up and out of my circumstances. Not in the best way. Right. But um, that could be kind of what's going on in her in her mind a little bit. So it's clear that she sees things that she knows, but she's overlooking it and pretending like it's not happening. Like she's in denial. Yeah, yeah. And okay. if, although we don't see her mom, and even if we did, her mom doesn't roofie her and give her dr- and give her alcohol. Yeah, the way that like in dream a little dream. dream. And if you're out there going, "What did he just say?" You need to go check out our dream a little dream <laughs> um, yeah. episode because uh, that is kind of what happens. So they really love the song Miss Amanda Jones. I mean, they are playing it every play time. It a lot. Every time Amanda but, walks. But now anywhere. you know why. Yeah, because it was kind of part of the thing. Um, and as we just talked about Amanda, you know, Watts tries to kind of warn Keith away from her. Yeah. And this is where we get the first of what I call the wisdom of Watts. Okay. There's a number of of quotes and um, statements that Watts gives that are just wise beyond her years. Okay. She's trying to tell Keith, you know, listen, she's just like a social climber. She's like, you know, into that group of people that we don't want to hang out with. And Keith says, you can't judge a book by its cover. And Watts says, yeah, but you can tell how much it's going to cost. And I was like, that's very good, Watts. Okay, here's what annoyed me about this <laughs> this movie. This is the first thing I'm going to say that annoyed me about it. 
not to totally give away my rating for later. <sighs> I think that it's an interesting dynamic that the movie sets up because everybody at some point or another has been Amanda or Watts, right? right. That somebody's into you and you know it, but you're not really into them. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of figure out how to deal with that without really hurting them. Right. And that's kind of where Amanda is. Or that you're into somebody and you think that they might know it, but you don't know and you don't know kind of how to express yourself and you don't want to get hurt. So maybe you have still a friendship going. And I think a lot of times what I like about this version is that it is gender swaps because I've seen that happen to a number of women, including myself at some point, right? Yeah. But that typically it's a thing where it's like, oh, he, she friend zoned him. Right, but but men do it to girls as well. Yes. And a lot of times, and I think you can see this in like a movie like He's Just Not That Into You, they'll hook up with you anyway, even though they're not super into you. Right. Which doesn't happen here. So the thing is that Keith is in both positions, which is interesting, in that he is the reacher trying to get somebody who's not as into him Mm -hmm. and he's the dodger and trying to get away from somebody well he's the object of affection and it's yeah it's not even that he's dodging it's that he's he doesn't really he's not recognizing that watts is into him like that which is so that's the part that annoyed me because she's just his best friend but it annoyed me because that's just not and I understand like yes movies are escapism and stuff like that but that part of this movie is completely unrealistic the idea that he wouldn't know is ridiculous to me and what happens at the end is just dumb maybe he kind of knows subconsciously multiple ways but he doesn't want to admit it because that would make that would be different and it would change their relationship and he's their best friends Mm. so you know there's thoughts there um so in the meantime keith uh, we have the thing where we see Amanda. Amanda is late for class because she ditches Jim to go drive around and probably make out with Hardy. Yeah, and well, so is he supposed to be in college? No, I think he's. He think he, he's in high school because he's there all the time. He just does whatever he wants because he's rich. I thought that he just uh, like came in to hang out. No, with her I think the... he's a senior and he tell. just does whatever he wants. And so, what we see is that. She gets caught by the gym teacher and she gets detention. Mm-hmm. Well, he witnesses this, so he goes and pulls the fire alarm purposely to get detention so he can spend time with her. And there are two things about this. Number one, uh, that you would pull a fire alarm and not get in more trouble than just detention. But number two, he witnesses it because he's hanging out on the bleachers by himself. Yeah. Staring at stalking the girls' her. gym class. Kind of stalking Because he Amanda. knows that she has, yeah. she's going to be playing tennis. It's so creepy. And then she has a conversation with the gym teacher, during which neither of them acknowledge that Keith is literally about five feet away. Yeah. Staring at them and listening to their conversation. The, the this, art of being invisible. Movie. No, this movie is so stupid. So, um, so he ends up having to go to detention. <laughs> Meanwhile, she talks to the assistant principal who does detention and gets out of it. Yeah, because she's, she's like, flirting she's with him. She's like flirting with him. She's like, oh, she's like, we really like your hair. And it's obvious he has no hair, right? And his tie. He's going bald. Yeah. And your tie. And he's like, well, thank you. She's like, he's like, well, you don't have to sit in there with those hooligans. Like, you could do your detention somewhere else. And she goes, 
well, I was thinking maybe I wouldn't have to do it at all. I mean, I'll promise never to be late again. And so he lets her off. And it's at this point that I'm like, okay, Amanda's not necessarily just supposed to be someone that we feel sorry for because of her circumstance. She also is not perfect. No. Because she's knowingly manipulating the situation. Well, she's also been skipping school and making out with a guy who clearly cheats on her. And is emotionally abusive. In no way do I feel bad for... Well, the emotional abuse, I did feel bad for her. But the rest of it, I don't. Um, And also, her boyfriend says crap like, keep your eyes and your mind off my property. Yes. And she's just like, oh, oh, Harvey or whatever his name is. Oh. And yeah. she doesn't even say anything, and it's so obnoxious. But um, the thing that I did, this was the other scene that I really, besides the interplay with his dad, the scene that I really like, if there were one couple that I want to be forever best friends, it's Keith and the bully who's in the detention with him, who's also into art. I want the two of them, I want to see a bro movie with the two of them, where they just are like, these girls are stupid, let's go to art college and and be roommates. Yeah. And then they're best friends for life. Duncan, who is the head of the <laughs> of the group of bullies that are kind of punk rock slash skinheads, maybe? We're not yeah, sure. We they're just made to look like a bad element. Yeah. Um. He ends up, detention is possibly the best thing to happen to Keith. Oh, yeah, big time. Because he ends up spending time with Duncan and his friends and makes friends with Duncan. Yeah. Um, And so a relationship does come out of this, a positive relationship. (laughs) But Um, but they're going back and forth and they do this thing where he draws something and then Duncan draws something and they go back and forth. (laughs) And my favorite one is this skeleton that has like a punk rock hairstyle. Yes. And Duncan goes, that's my girlfriend with no skin. Yeah. Well, I love it. Also, it adds to Duncan's character when you point out that Keith is drawing all this stuff on a sketch pad. Duncan is drawing his stuff by carving it with a switchblade into yeah. the desktop. Yeah. And Keith, like, tilts his pad so that Duncan can see. And Duncan rips the desktop <laughs> off the desk yeah. and tilts it so he can see. It really is hilarious. And it, it's a really, really funny scene to me. And I could have used a lot more of it. Um, but anyway, we get back to the Keith Amanda story and he's like, I'm a nice guy. Like, that's the shtick. He asks her out in the most awkward way possible. He just walks up to her on the street at night. Yeah. And it just so happens, luckily for him, she's just had a fight with Hardy. So she says yes. Yeah. Because she wants to make Hardy jealous. And I have to tell you, I only have known one other person who just straight up did this and asked somebody out in this way. And it did not go well for him. Like a psychopath. (laughs) Like a psychopath. Because it isn't like... She's the girl he's worshipping from afar. And he's nodded to her a couple times and, like, kind of awkwardly saluted her. Yeah. But they're, they don't... When you ask somebody out in high school, typically, like, you've hung out with them before. You've hung out in a big group. They're part of your general social circle. Even or, if they were in class together yeah, and had some conversations. Yes. And during one of those, he was like, hey, we should go out sometime. Yeah. That's but different. Keith is just like, I'm going to put it all out there. But in the most awkward way I can think of. And I'm telling you that if you were going to redo this movie, which you shouldn't. But if you were going to redo it, I don't know that you can do it. Because I don't know that most like Gen Zers or Gen Alpha, like I, they don't do this. 
Like, a lot of times they'll be dating and nobody will have ever asked anybody out. Mm-hmm. And the boundaries are nebulous as to are we going out or are we not? Like, they don't have this right. thing where, like, you ask somebody out. Like, that's very putting yourself in a vulnerable place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He so, just walks right across traffic. Yeah, it just goes right through traffic. Which, I mean, traffic. we've we've established he's not afraid of a train, so like, cars really should be no no big deal for him. Yeah. Then I love the following scene that they're at breakfast, and it's a huge... It's a huge 1980s Saturday breakfast. Oh, scrambled eggs, bacon, pancakes, uh, fresh fruit. I mean, yeah. everything you can imagine. Um, and and cereal, because that, if you remember those pictures, that would be part of your balanced breakfast. That's part of your balanced breakfast, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Candace Cameron-Bure is very concerned with whether or not she's getting proper nutrition from this breakfast. <laughs> but... The, the, the other sisters, like, tell me that what I hear isn't true. And he's now, like, got a totally different demeanor. He's calling his parents Clifford and Carol. Oh, yeah, he's sitting on top of the world. Because he's got a date with the hottest girl in school. It's so stupid. Besides his best friend. No, stop it. But in his mind, the but hottest girl in school. It's still, like, it, the thing is, she's still an object, though, right? Like, it, it, and that's what I don't like about this nice guy trope, that he's like, but I'm a nice guy, you should be going out with me. I wouldn't be a jerk to you like Hardy. But you're still treating her like an object to be one. Yeah, she's and a I, trophy that's what in I'm his like. mind. Yeah, she's a trophy girlfriend. Candace, Cam- Candace Cameron, the, the youngest sister, in the middle of all this discussion of dating is completely oblivious to that and yeah. more concerned with the fact that she says, I think I'm missing one of my food groups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot. You know what's funny, too, is that we... Is it sugar? No, it's definitely Because she not has sugar. meat, she has eggs, she has grain. I think grain. it's fruit. I think it's fruit. Okay. Or dairy. Yeah, I guess. Because remember that that was one of the major food groups when we were growing yeah, up. Yeah, that's true. Um... Which is funny because they don't talk about it anymore. Like, we talk more about, like, macros, like carbs, fats, proteins. Mm-hmm. We don't think of, like, do I have my four food groups? Yeah, we don't think of it that way. <laughs> Grains, meat, fruits and vegetables were all lumped into one category. Mm-hmm. And then also dairy because milk does a body good. That's true. Then we go. So, Watts knows that he's asked Amanda out. Yeah. And she's trying to make him jealous, but he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, so she, like, ropes in this poor guy who we don't really know anything about except for the fact that he's kind of, like, he's kind of, like, part of, like, the loser group that Duncan runs, I think. Yeah, and he's super into and her, And he's though. into her, so she ropes him into following her around to try to make Keith jealous. Now, I do think that it's interesting that this group a couple of times has asked her if she's a lesbian because she's a tomboy, but you have, like, she doesn't look like a girly girl, and so people kind of wonder if she's gay, but it's just, like, her style. Well, also because she's not dating around, but she's not dating because she's into Keith. Well, and also because she she does things like she wears male boxers for and they see her in gym class with right. guy boxers on but the fact is that she had i think that that's supposed to be because she's poor she doesn't have a lot of money for like fancy like girly things fancy underwear girly things yeah exactly and and probably has maybe older brothers and is just getting hand-me-downs right yeah um but 
I do think that that sequence is funny because he this skinhead is really trying to like win her over. Oh yeah, <laughs> and she's like, "Look at me, like you're interested." He's like, "That's yeah. not gonna be and, a problem." And the second he Keith walks away, in. she's like, "I right, get away from me." Yeah, but I kind of wish it. it see, like I I liked them together. I would have thought it would been funny if she like gives him a chance and goes on a date with him, sees what's up. <laughs> so yeah, she she's not. She, but but it doesn't seem to work, which irritates her even more. Um, and then... Oh, but this is where... So I read this accidentally before for my notes, but she says... Uh, he says... He asks her again, like, are you a lesbian? And she goes, no. I'm and just like, I'm a drummer and a girl can be whatever she wants to be. And he goes, I know, my mom's a plumber. Yeah. And that just gets hilarious line. I just thought that was so great. We also see... Molly Hagen as Shay, Amanda's best friend, yep. who looks exactly the same today as she did in 1987. Yeah, that's true. And she's given Shay the cold shoulder. Yeah, well, she that she um, yeah, Shay because Amanda has broken up with Hardy. Yeah, and so now her friends are not giving or giving her the time of day either because they're his um, friends they're not right. really her friends hardy invites keith to bring amanda to his house party the night that they're going out yeah. because he's a good guy and he wants to just show that he, there's no hard feelings so this basically sets up the main conflict of the second half of the film right that now everything's kind of established and we see all the characters and all the relationships and whatever and now we eventually find out that the plan is for Hardy and his boys to, to jump Keith to jump when he Keith shows up and beat the, the crap out of him. And somehow in that, with Amanda back, possibly? I don't think, I don't even think it has anything to do with Amanda anymore because he's making out with other chicks already. Well, he was before. You know, he was before anyway. I think it's, it's not about Amanda. It's about the fact that he was humiliated and he's going to beat this guy up because of it. Right. He's going to get his revenge. Amanda, and again, this is kind of the problem, right? Is Amanda's an object. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter about her getting her back or her feelings or whatever. It's the injustice that was done to Hardy. Yeah, and Leah Thompson made some great comments about this in an interview I read with her that she said she really had to try to somehow give this character depth in her performance because on the page she didn't feel like the character had that much depth. Because right. you could play it totally differently where um, you're just the object of somebody's affection and you really are just kind of wanting to be popular and whatever. So she tries to, like, do things and do gestures to show that, you know, in a couple times she could have gotten out of the date, but she didn't. But she right. makes some faces to indicate, like, no, I kind of, this guy's kind of sweet and he's different. And yeah. I want to see where, it, maybe he's not my type, but I want to see Right, it's it not a deep character. But, you know, interestingly enough, it's, I would say that, as we mentioned before, this is kind of a correction of Pretty in Pink, right? Right. And Andrew McCarthy's character doesn't have a lot of depth either. No, he's he doesn't. He's like the male object, right? He's like yeah. the, the, the person on the pedestal that Molly Ringwald is trying to. Yeah. <coughs> So it's not necessarily a gender thing. It just has to do with the writing it's and the that fact. Role. And the fact, too, that we're seeing this story mostly through Keith's eyes, even though, you know, if right. it were if it were a book, it would be more in first person, right. probably. So Keith's bratty sister, mm-hmm. that he has been basically at odds with the entire movie, 
overhears Hardy and his friends talking about the fact that they're going to jump Keith at the party. Yep. And so she does the right thing and actually goes and tells Keith. And is actually, this is the first time in the whole movie that we actually, she actually is acting like a decent human being. Well, no, what I will say is that I thought that this relationship, unlike the one between the three love interests, I think that this relationship is very accurate. Because my brother was four and a half years younger than me. And a lot of times, especially if you're in high school, you can see that as like, oh, you're kind of bratty and you're in the way all the time. And like, you want to be like me a little bit. You want to kind of tag along and whatever. But when it comes down to it, family's family, right? And so I think that this scene with her and the brother, he kind of gives her a hard time because they bicker a little bit. Because there is the age difference and she's a girl and he's a boy, right? But then she's like, no, I, I like really have to talk to you. Yeah. And you see that like ultimately they're there for each other. And you can also kind of see this is the relationship that they'll have when they're 30. Right. Right. Like that that they respect each other in some ways. It's just like she's kind of going through this thing where she's trying to be accepted too and Living in what looks to me like a really nice house, but apparently yeah. is a garbage house. Well, you know, house it's that age, too. He's eight, He's 17 or 18. She's about 13. Yeah, 12, 13, right? 14. Yeah. So she's like in the middle school, high school. Right, that's what I'm saying. Because yeah. when I was in high school, my brother was still in middle school. Right. And like, he, so he's five years behind me in school. So he was in eighth grade when I was a senior. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hang out with an eighth No. Grade. You know, uh, no offense to Tim because he's cool, but... Um, yeah, so that happens. And then we have, in contrast, the most ridiculous thing that happens in this entire movie. Well, before that, he goes and tells Watts that this is the plan. Right. And Watts says, well, then just don't go. That's that, that, you know, that's, that makes it easy. And he says, no, no, I'm not going to back down. I'm still going. And And this is where we get another wisdom of Watts. Mm. Watts replies and says... It's better to swallow pride than blood. Yeah, that actually I, I do agree with her on. And also, she's he's coming to her, but she's already tried to separate herself a bit from him. Yeah. Um, and she's trying to say like, "Hey, our relationship isn't really working for me anymore." I had to do this with somebody at one point as well because we were really good friends, and people thought we were dating, and we were not. And it was getting in the way of people actually dating me. And I found out like later on before I kind of halted it that two or three people had wanted to ask me out and kind of thought that I was with this guy. Right. So thankfully I didn't go out with them because I met you later. That's true. But I think that it's, it's, she's also very smart to do that, to be like, Hey, I really like this guy. He's not into me. I'm going to move on. Yeah. Right. And then he kind of doesn't let her. Do you think, I think that's part of it. Do you think there's also part of her that's like, well, I'm going to move on and then he's going to realize when I'm not around that he doesn't have me and maybe he'll miss me or he'll come after me? No, I don't. I think that she's trying to protect herself. But that's how I read it. I didn't read it as... I think she kind of gave up at that point. I don't think that she's trying... Like, she tried to make him jealous. He didn't even remember to return her car to her when it wouldn't start. He didn't even tell her that the car wouldn't start, right? That's true, When yeah. he was trying to drive Amanda home. So, um, so at any rate, the stupidest part of the movie. Okay. He takes all of his college money. Mm-hmm. 
and he buys a pair of diamond stud earrings that Watts helps him pick out that she yeah. would rather have for herself. Yeah. Dumb. And if I were the dad, who I 100% agreed with, it doesn't matter if you're using it for college or not, we're taking the earrings back and I'm going to be like, hey, you sold these to a 17-year-old who basically stole money out of my account. You're giving him the money back. Well, it is made... It, it, this is the thing. is During the discussion with the dad... And he's 17, he might be 18, because it's, mm. it's his own account, and he's able to take it out without the dad, right? But he does make the mention that it's not, the dad didn't put any of that money in there. It's all money he made as a oh, mechanic. Oh, that's right, you're right. That you're he right. saved. And I looked it up, because I'm like, they never say what how much it is, and I'm like, those are nice diamond earrings, but I mean, what do we talk about? We look it up, and the actual number that was in the actual, like, like script or the the film thing, yeah, is ten thousand dollars. Right, that's why it's dumb. Yeah, and he needs to take so the money back. So he spends ten grand on diamond earrings yeah. for this girl for a first date that he's been saving for years. Yeah, this is a bit of an overcorrection. And also, not to mention, like if Megan, you're a girl, if you were went on a date with a dude and he handed you. $10,000 earrings on the first date, I would, wouldn't you be like, this is a red flag? I would assume that he was going to try to assault me later. I'm just saying, because yeah. that's the kind of, again, that's the kind of move that says, I'm buying you and you're my possession. Right. Right? And also, he. this is why we have 503C accounts now. If you don't know, a 503C account, I know we have also people in other countries, but a 503C yeah. account is an educational savings account. And you can't take the money out for anything other than education. So even if, like, if I set one up for a child of mine and they decide not to use it, I can take it out for my education, but I can't take it out. If I take it out for something else, there's a huge penalty. Right. That's This is exactly why, because yeah. it's stupid shit like this the kids yeah. do. They buy $10,000 earrings. So that ends the Stop Ruining the, uh, My Childhood financial segment for this week <laughs> that you only get on the Patreon special bonus edition. <laughs> this, is why, this is why I recommend setting up a 503c account for your child so that they won't do things like this. So um, he But he buys these. He, he does it anyway. He buys the earrings, and then... He's now roped Watts back into things because now she's become, she's like, this is getting serious. Like, he's going to get beat up and she's yeah. gotten back involved. And this, and she's like, if you're going to do this, at least, like, be careful and be smart about it. And this brings in my favorite sex segment of the movie, mm. which is the practice kiss. It's so stupid. No, it's not. It's phenomenal. She's it's like, stupid, and she's also like, she got she's roped like, in. You're gonna, she's like, so what happens if Amanda wants to kiss? And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to do it. And she's like, Amanda Jones is not like some first-timer. Like, you better be a pro, or she's going to, she's like, let me see what you got. She's like, Amanda Jones has been around the block. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, you better know what you're doing. Mm. And so... She's like, pretend I'm Amanda. And he and I'm like, all right, this is Watts is very Watts is clever because she's doing this it's on not purpose. Clever. It would okay? never work. It's and stupid. So he's like, um, okay. And so he, she's like, close your eyes. And he she's sitting on the she's sitting on a counter in the middle of the garage. Mm -hmm. And he comes up and they start to kiss and it's a little awkward. And then he gets then they both get into it a little bit and she wraps her feet around his waist. And then 
she pushes him away and she's like, Lesson's over. She's well, like, You're also, fine. Because he kind of grabs her butt. That's yeah. why she pushes him away. She goes, Lesson's over. You're fine. Oh, she was digging into his butt with her heels. It's so stupid. And he goes, Are you blushing? And she gets mad because she is blushing. And she's like, You know, I'm just trying to help you. And this is how you treat somebody that's trying to help you. She's like, Screw you. And she kind of like, like, you know, saunters off. In no universe. Greatest ever, no. scene in the movie. No. In no, no, the greatest scene in the movie is detention. In no universe would anybody ever be like, well, we better practice kissing. We're just friends, but we're going to practice. That's stupid. It's worked and for dumb. me before. So, no, no. Yeah. not in this capacity where you're like, you better practice with me before you go on a date with him. That's dumb. Mm. That is dumb. It's stupid and dumb. And they're all 28 years old. Or and is they, it romantic? No, it's not romantic. It was romantic. It was not romantic at all. Um, then we have the date, right? And um, Amanda is, again, bland. Half-heartedly as a, doing the date. Yeah. And, well, what, okay, what, here's what's interesting to me. She obviously, there's something about this guy that's different, right? But And Mary Stuart Masterson is Watts. She's chauffeuring them around because she's a sucker. Yeah. But, um... What's interesting about the date is that you can very quickly see, and I, I wish that they had kind of had a longer section of this, but you can see that they're not compatible. Right. And that now he's on a date with her, he can kind of see how that, she, they're, they're different in the way that they think about well, things. Well, it also shows the difference between what he assumes about her. Yeah. Because he brings her to a very fa- fancy restaurant, right? I'm assuming that's also part of the money he took out. Oh, I'm right. 100%. He just spent ten grand on just the diamond earrings. Right. Um, <laughs> he brings her to a very fancy restaurant, and she's just as kind of uncomfortable there as he is. Yeah, and ends up ordering. <laughs> so he orders cheeseburgers for both yeah. of them, which does make her kind of laugh, right? But again, he assumed because of the the group that she runs in that that's what she would expect. And because he's never actually talked to her before. Right. So all of the stuff is what he's imagining about her. Right. Right. And then they go on the, the very famous scene from this movie where they're at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Well, bef- yeah. But right before that, they actually they leave the dinner and they're driving to the art museum. Oh, yes, yeah. But before they get there, this is the classic piece. One Again, one of my favorite scenes. She, they're in the back seat, and Mary Stuart Masterson is driving, right? Mm-hmm. And she's dressed up as a chauffeur, and, and she's driving a nice car that I think they borrowed from the garage he works at. Yeah, it's the boss's car. Yeah, and so Amanda goes to put her lipstick on, and Mary Stuart Masterson hits the brakes, and, puts it li- and she puts lipstick across her cheek. Yeah, and she's seen these two together before, obviously, Mm because they are best friends, and it's not that big of a school, so she kind of understands what's going on. Yeah, and she gives her a nasty look in the mirror. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, there's a lot of passive aggression. Yeah, and then she says to her, if you break his heart, I'll break your face. Yeah. Another wadis. So he brings her to an art museum where he gets let in after hours by his new buddy Duncan, whose dad is the security guard. Yeah. So they get a they get like a moonlight private tour of the art gallery. And now we see where Duncan gets his love of art. From his dad. From his dad. <laughs> yeah. And hanging there is one of the forty thousand dollars worth of paintings. 
one of the paintings that that Keith has done in the yeah. story. Yes, yeah, of her. And it's a really, it is a really great painting. It really captures. It really looks like Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. Yeah. Um. So then we have the famous scene, as I said, in the Hollywood Bowl where they're sitting there and it's completely empty, except that Watts is sitting in there watching their date. Yeah. What, what's up with these people and sitting in the bleachers? Just being stalkers and staring at everything. Um, but again, he gives her the earrings, but you can tell this is not a love match. That it's been awkward and they've been kind of friendly, but they're not they're not really meant for each other, right? Yes. And then he says, okay, let's go to the party. Now, he knows that these guys want to jump him. Yes. And she knows that they want to jump him. And so she, but she never says like, they're going to jump you and beat you up. She's just like, I don't know if I really want to go. Are you sure that we should? And he's like, no, come on, let's go. So they show up at the party. Hardy confronts him Mm -hmm. and it starts to go the way that you assume it is. And then the door opens and Duncan and his crew walk in. Yeah. And now Hardy and his boys are outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And also, because he's he's said to Hardy before this, why don't you take me outside? Why don't we make this a fair fight of just you and me? Yeah. And Hardy is like, no, my boys are going to go beat you up. Yeah. Like, he's not he's even like, getting I'm a answered. host. He's like, I don't yeah. do that. And he's also a coward, right? I, I also love that he says to Duncan on his way out back to the date, he goes... Don't forget it is a party. Don't mess things up too badly. <laughs> yeah. And Duncan goes, don't worry. He goes, I'm not going to hurt him much. Yeah. <laughs> but also that now the party's actually going to be fun because it has been kind of lame. Yes. Right. Um, and so they he goes back out to Leah Thompson. Everything's kind of resolved with him and Hardy. That's tied up. The thing with him and Duncan is tied mm-hmm. up. That's also one of my favorite scenes is when Duncan walks in with his boys. Oh, because. Great watching this for the first time, you assume he's going... There's a lot of movies like this where he gets beat up. Well, my... And that's part of the lesson he learned, Yeah, right? but my... What I thought would happen, because I had not seen this particular scene before. I have seen the scene at the Hollywood Bowl and I saw the very end. Mm-hmm. I did not see this. What I thought would happen was that maybe Miss Amanda Jones would finally stand up for herself and say, look, I'm not dating either one of you. I'm not a sex object. Stop fighting over me, you stupid jackasses. Right. And I kind of wish it, she kind of was like, oh, no, don't beat him up. But I kind of wish that she had been allowed that moment yeah. before Duncan and his boys come in. Right. Like, I still want them to right. come in because that's hilarious. She gets it because after he comes in, Duncan's like, yeah, Keith, you want to take him out now? We'll make sure nobody else gets involved. And Keith's like, no, he's not worth it. Yeah. And Hardy looks weak and... And, you know, cowardly as he is. Yeah. And then she says, well, you're better than me and walks up and smacks the crap out of Hardy. Yeah, I kind of wish she had, she had kicked him in the nether regions. I thought yeah, that would have been she funny. she smacks him instead. She twice. slaps him Pretty twice. hard. Pretty hard, yeah. So she does get a little bit of that. But I just think for her character arc, if she had talked about, like, she needed the kind of speech that's in Can't Buy Me Love. Like, she needed to to, to be like... You guys rejected me just because I'm not dating him anymore. You guys are all false friends. Like right. she needed, like to, she, to she, be able to have. She that. gets that a little bit, a, but a little not. Bit, but but not she's publicly. also not the one of the main characters, really. You know. But that's my point. She she gets it in the fact that when they walk out of the house, she hands him the earrings back, 
Mm-hmm. And she made, has already made the connection. She said, these really weren't for me. Right? And she basically, she says something to the effect of, she's actually not going to, she's not going to date anybody. She needs some time to, to, because, to be just herself. Because previously she had told him, it's. he said, why are you dating that guy? And she's like, it's better be with somebody who's wrong than to be than on to your be own. to be alone, right. And now she's like, I might actually try yeah. being alone. And I so she's made that, that character arc a little I, but bit. But I wanted her to have the slow clap I, moment. I know you did, but that's not, it's not, this and is not the movie for that. Here's the thing. I hate this ending. It's the best ending it's ever. It's so stupid. No. Listen. He runs down the street and no. catches up with Watts, who's walking home. Yeah. And he grabs her, and they kiss. And then he opens the earrings up and gives them to her. He says, you always knew these were going to be for you. And she says, no, I didn't, but I hoped. Yeah. Or no, he first first he, he kisses her and he says... I didn't know, meaning he hadn't he hadn't connected that she was in love with him. Yeah. And she says, and again, now we have one of our last wisdom of Watts. She says, well, you're stupid. I always knew you were stupid. <laughs> but he asked her. If- She's like, it's good thing you're pretty. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's my, my and, last, and- wait, my last fun fact was that the end of this was slightly different in the other version. That... After he gives her the earrings, and then we fade to black, and they're together, mm-hmm. which I don't think is the right ending, but that's fine. Apparently, in the original version, he said, "He said you look good wearing my future," which he does. Mm-hmm. And then she says, "Yeah, not for long. We're going to return these, and you're going to art school." And then he says, "Maybe we'll just return one of them, and we'll turn the other one into a ring." Oh, I like that. She's implying that they're going to be married, which they should not do because like she's that. a drummer and he's an artist. Right. And they have no money to live on They whatsoever. have $5,000 if they return <laughs> one. That's true. In the 80s. That's so, true. Uh, yeah, she, he does give her the earrings and she puts them in her ears. And he, and he says, you always knew you were going to get these. And she says, well, I hoped. Yeah. That she was going to get them. And that was cute, too. I was like, oh, Because she's not, like, girly, but she did like the diamond earrings. So part of her kind of was. And that, I don't want to get... I, you know, I the, don't want to preview my... This because is, I want to talk about it This is the reaction. thing. This is a movie that is... I wrote this down. This is a movie about self-loathing and social status. Okay. With romance tied into it. They don't have any chemistry between them at all. That's my issue. They don't. And I don't know if they had had Andrew McCarthy. You know, Andrew McCarthy is also a little more feminine looking. Would that have worked with her more masculine kind of tomboy Watts? I don't know. But I don't like the two of them together. I don't see them together. There is nothing outside of two seconds of them kissing that says that they would be good together. It's The ending should be that he realizes that his dad was right and he takes the earrings back and he goes to a different town for college and then he meets somebody there. That's the actual real no. ending. Yes, it is, Steve. Well, because we in really reality, disagree. in reality, that's what happens. In reality, no. in a couple months, you're going to grow up out of this high school town. You're going to realize that high school is not the end-all be-all. You're going to realize that the, you're, the girl that you were pining over is one of many girls that you can now date at college and you're going to 
get a life and become an adult. Like, it's just such a stupid no, ending. No, Megan, Watts is his soulmate, and you're making me angry. She's not his soulmate. She is his soulmate. They don't have any chemistry. Stop it. They had chemistry. No, they that don't. That practicing kissing scene was hot. No, it wasn't. And I it don't was like your attitude right awkward, now. awkward, and I had to look so, at it behind my hands like a kid. Moving into reception. Mm. Okay. As I mentioned before, John Hughes made over 30 movies. Yeah. Okay? And so, just some of them were National Lampoon's Vacation, Mr. Mom, 16 Candles, Weird Science, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, All Pretty in Pink, than this one. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, Dutch, mm-hmm. Beethoven, Dennis the Menace, right? There's been, I mean, a lot of movies in this era, the 80s, 90s, were John Hughes movies. Yeah. So, um... The movie made $18.5 million at the box office, which was pretty decent at this time. It made more than it... It, 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 it didn't lose money. It made more than it cost. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes has the film with a 76% approval rating. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the consensus of the site is some kind of wonderful is above average 80s teen fare for people who need as much John Hughes in their life as possible. Sorry. That's funny. Um, uh, audience surveyed on Cinema Score gave the film an A minus on an A to F scale. Mm-hmm. Robert Ebert praised the film, calling it worthwhile and entertaining. Hmm. The New York Times stated that some kind of wonderful is the much improved, recycled version of Pretty in Pink, hmm. which is a kind of what he was trying to do. Hmm. Um, Time criticized the film for being unrealistic. There you go. Which I don't agree with. They get it. Um, Masterson's performance was singled out for praise by several critics. Out of the group of the actors, Mary Stuart Masterson was singled out yeah, that makes it, sense. for praise of I her I think she's survival. very strong in this. Um, but the biggest piece of this, I want to say, is out of, out of a, ra- a ranking system of all of John Hughes' movies, mm-hmm. Some Kind of Wonderful is ranked number five. What? The only movies John Hughes did that are above that is number four, National Lampoon's Vacation. Ugh. Number three, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Number two, The Breakfast Club. And number one, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. First of all, one and two should be flipped. And 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 the other, the National Lampoon's doesn't belong on there. But, but some anyway. kind of wonderful beat out Uncle Buck. Yeah, that makes it sense. It beat out that Home Alone. Sense. It no. beat out... No. 16 Candles. No. It, yes. It beat out... Um, Pretty in Pink. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Pretty in Pink was like not even in the top 10. Yeah. Mr. The- Mom. It beat... Pretty in Pink was 12. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's actually out of John Hughes fans and, and people that are very familiar with his movies, it's actually ranked very high. So... Which backs me up. Good for you. <laughs> but... Here's the thing. I'm going to be honest. I don't love Pretty in Pink either. And I just think um, for other for different reasons that I didn't care for this movie. And I think I've only seen that maybe once. I just remember that I didn't care for it very much. Um, this has some good points and some bad points. And I think ultimately... It just, to me, came down to the chemistry between the actors. I just don't think... I don't know. If it had had 
Michael J. Fox and Kim Delaney <laughs> would it with Kyle McLaughlin would it have been better for me? I like Hardy, the guy who plays Hardy. I love Mary Stuart Masterson in this. It's the other two, okay? And really, possibly just Eric Stoltz and Mary Stuart Masterson together. They just don't seem like a couple, and they just I don't get anything other than. Like I said, the three-second kissing scene to me, there's nothing in this that says that there's more than they're more than friends, and that she wants him, but that he's even the scene where they're her. laying on his bed together and or on her bed together, and he's like, "Hey, pal," and she's like, "Oh," because she likes him, but that doesn't mean that he likes her or that they would work together as a couple. Mm. That's the issue that I have. You're ruining this for me, and I don't like that's that. That's the name of the show. Oh, I don't like it. Well, you've ruined other things for me that's that I That's not true. Like, I would never do something. Yes, you did. You ruined Little House on the Prairie for me big time. So let's get to our So my rating is ratings. a five for that reason. It's okay. Mm-hmm. There are some things I like about it. Would I watch it again? Probably not. You know, you mentioned the casting. Eric Stoltz, <sighs> I'm not a huge Eric Stoltz fan. I don't mind him in this. You have to remember, he was hot at this time. He was just coming off a mask, which was a year before this was filmed. I don't like that movie either. Right? Which was highly acclaimed. It was, yes. Um, And so I see why they went to him when Andrew McCarthy said no. Yeah. Right? Um, But this... I also see why they took him out of Back to the Future. This movie has humor. It has friendship with Duncan. Mm. It has... With Duncan. He has a romance... Or a love triangle, right? It does have romance in it. And I just... For some reason, this movie touches me. And I like it. And I remember it. And and when we watched it again, I liked it just as much as I liked it back when I saw it the first time. Okay. So I'm giving this movie an 8. Okay. All right. So, I can't math that. Six and a half. <laughs> I'm going to leave this in. No. I took three. I got to thirteen, and my brain stopped. Um, I we can we can round up to a seven. I'll give it a six. We can round up to a okay. Seven. So so. Seven out of ten, ten hearts. hearts. Seven out of ten hearts. Still not bad, despite not bad. your best efforts. I mean, it's a passing grade. Yeah. I, I bumped it up because you're right, and the thing about Duncan and the friendships I do like. I do like, too, that we have a tomboy and a different kind of girl in this movie yeah. and, and that kind of thing. The, I, I think John Hughes was successful in the fact that I've seen Pretty in Pink as well. I don't dislike it. It's mm-hmm. not my favorite, right? But... I think this is a better adaptation of that storyline. Yeah. I like the girl-boy-girl girl instead of the boy-girl-boy. Boy, mm-hmm. Right? Um, I like Mary Stuart Masterson's character much better than Ducky. Yeah. Right? And so I think it was... And I liked I liked the ending here where he ends up with the best friend and the girl he idolized ends up working on herself and giving herself... I did like I liked that, that better than him yeah. ending up with the girl he idolized. Which would have been dumb. Which is pretty um, in pink. So, and also that... I can't hardly wait. And a bunch of other movies, like teen comedies. Yeah. A lot of times that's how it ends. And also, you don't get the pretty popular girl just because you're a nice guy. Yeah. If you don't fit right together, you don't fit right together. Right. And if you're a bit of a stalker. Yeah, exactly. So, our next bonus Patreon episode is Weekend at Bernie's for Spring Break. Yep. Uh, which Steve chose 
last time and our what was what is Steve willing to watch segment. We also have coming up in February Columbo for our TV and Clue for our movie and those will be on our normal stream and our uh, Patreon poll is going to be TV superhero shows. So Wonder Woman, Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain Planet, Lois and Clark. Those are the choices we came up with. But if you have a different one that you'd like to vote for, you can put it in there too. Put it in the comments. Please do. So that's it for us today. My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. Thanks so much for supporting us, everybody. We super appreciate it. And um, you're helping us to keep our podcast going. And you're helping us to find snacks. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and replace our microphone and pay and, for the hosting and the website and, and all that. And continuously go down memory lane. Exactly. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great month. <laughs>